0: What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano and this is The Joe Pomp Show. I hope everyone's having a great week so far. We got college football in full swing. The NFL is obviously back now, and the U.S. Open is happening, too. It's a great time to be a sports fan. Today, we're going to talk about a few things. Number one, we're going to talk about ESPN and Charter and their standoff. I want to talk about the cable business in general, what exactly is happening here, who is going to blink first, and what the future might look like. Number two, we're going to talk about Deion Sanders in Colorado. They obviously just shocked the world. 7.3 million people watched them beat TCU. They're now ranked number 22 in the country, and they're hosting Nebraska this weekend. We're going to talk about some of the data that's happened since that game and the impact that it's had on Colorado. And then last but not least, we're going to be talking about the Rugby World Cup. This is a low-key, huge event that many people, specifically in the United States, either don't think about or don't know about. So I'll run you through the money and business behind that event. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode and learn a lot. So let's get right into it. Okay. So I want to start today's podcast by talking about the ESPN slash Disney standoff with charter slash spectrum. So if you have Spectrum, there's 15 million people in the country that have it. So there's a decent chance that I'm speaking to some people that do have it. I'm sorry. I know it's unfortunate what's happening right now. This isn't fun for anyone. And it puts consumers and customers in a really difficult position. So for those just a level set that don't know what's going on, Spectrum is the second largest cable company in the United States. They have 14.7 million Spectrum TV subscribers. This is in cities like New York, LA, Chicago, big cities, right? spectrum went blank, right? So the way that these deals work is ESPN produces the content. They sign the rights for obviously Monday Night Football. They have college rights. They have the US Open right now. They go out and they sign these multi-billion dollar, in some case, rights for the sports. They produce the events and they essentially license that content to the cable providers. These are called carriage fees. Those cable providers agree to pay them a fee for each subscriber. So in ESPN's case, it's about nine or ten dollars a month that these cable companies traditionally have been paying ESPN per subscriber. So if you have cable and you don't even turn on cable, or even if you do, but you watch something else, you're watching the weather or something else like that, and you don't watch sports at all, you're still paying as part of your fee, 9 or $10 a month to ESPN. That's just the way it works. It's been an amazing business for ESPN because the content is so necessary. We talk about this all the time with live sports. 23 out of the top 25 most watched US TV broadcasts last year were NFL About 90 or 95 of them were sports in general. There was just a couple for political programming and I think the Thanksgiving Day parade. So the cable package is dependent on live sports. That's a fact, 100%. But what's happened is Charter and Spectrum are saying no. They're saying no. And the way that these deals work, I think, is important for you to understand because Disney is not stupid. ESPN is not stupid. Bob Iger certainly is not stupid. The way that they structure these deals is for them to run out essentially right where the most lucrative program or the most in-demand program is happening. So if you have Spectrum, you probably noticed on the night of the first college football game, literally the night of the college football game, I think it was the Florida-Utah game, say it started at 8 p.m. Eastern time. That's exactly when the service went out. It just went blank and turned black. See ya. No more. You don't have access to ESPN. All 19 of their channels went blank at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the reason why they do that is because they know people are looking forward to that game. In some cases, many people don't expect this to be happening, so they start panicking. They call Spectrum. They go on the website. They leave nasty comments. They tweet about it. They post on Facebook. They just give Spectrum hell. And that's exactly what happened. Many people were frustrated. I tweeted about it. I don't even have Spectrum anymore. I have YouTube TV. But I tweeted about it because so many people were upset. And this is nothing new. This literally happened with YouTube TV last year also. So again, nothing new. This is on purpose that Disney does this. And what they want to do is they want to lock these cable companies into escalating payments. So every time a new contract comes up, they want them to pay more for their services. Despite the decline in these companies' profits because of the decline in cable television, ESPN says, look, we know you need our content. We know you need it. Live sports is the last thing holding this bundle together. So you're going to pay us more and more and more. And we're going to compress your margins. And historically, every company has been willing to do that from YouTube TV to all the other cable providers, because even if it goes out for a day, you don't want all your customers to pull off, right? If it's gone for a week, if it's gone for two weeks, if it's gone for three weeks, or if you decide we're never going to have ESPN again, you're going to lose a substantial amount of your customer base because that's the reason why they have cable. It was the sole reason I had cable, and it's the sole reason why many people have cable. It's live sports and live news. So what we're seeing with Spectrum right now and Disney is that Spectrum is essentially saying, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We're not not dealing with this crap. We're not going to let them bully us around. It's been over a week now. And if you just look at ESPN's lineup this weekend, so I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon. It's going to go out Friday morning. You'll probably be listening to this on Friday or maybe this weekend. This may all get resolved, but I still think it's worth talking about because I want everyone to understand exactly what's happening here. ESPN this weekend alone, they have the Texas-Alabama game. That's not even counting College Game Day. They obviously have that, but they have the Texas-Alabama game. They have the U.S. Open finals, men's and women's finals. They have the Monday night football game between the Bills and the Jets. That's three more key events this weekend alone. Now, obviously, the NFL is back in action and all the other games are on Fox or CBS or whatever. But ESPN is the premier player in sports, and not having 19 of Disney's channels is a huge, 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 huge negative. But the response to this from Charter has been more interesting. Because like I said, what usually happens and what happened with YouTube TV last year was they said, we couldn't come to an agreement, give Disney a call, give YouTube TV a call in the other instance, and tell them how much you hate this. And then after a day or two goes by, maybe even less than 24 hours in YouTube TV's case, a deal has been agreed upon. So it's just like a negotiation tactic usually. But this doesn't feel like this. And many people that I've heard from in the industry and other people that are talking about this online have agreed that this could potentially be very, very, very dangerous for cable specifically. And I'll tell you why. So Charter is essentially saying, hey, look, we have a very good broadband business. We have a good wireless business. The cable business isn't as good. It's declining. It doesn't look as great to us. We're not making as much money. What if we don't need that? right? What if we don't need that? And the reason why many people think they're saying that is because they're telling people when you call in. So one thing that is absolutely should be a crime is that you cannot cancel online. You can literally not go on spectrum and cancel. You can go in, you can up your plan, you can add new channels, you can extend it, you can do all this stuff to make them more money. But you can't cancel your plan, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. It should be against the law and it should not be allowed. But what they make you do is they make you call in. And when you call in, you can guarantee that you're going to be put on hold for two hours, 100%. Go, go look, search Twitter, talk to friends that have Spectrum. Maybe you have Spectrum. This is how it works. You're going to be put on hold for a couple of hours. And then when you will finally get to someone, if you're able to find the right department, they're now convincing people or trying to convince people to sign up for Fubo TV by getting a discount. So let's say, hey, go sign up for Fubo and we'll give you a discount. And that's unique because in most cases, you'll never hear a cable company telling you to go sign up for someone else, right? They're not trying to lose business. That would be stupid. But what's happening here is they're saying, we don't need ESPN. We don't really like this business anyways. And the kicker is that ESPN has been publicly saying for many years now that they're going to add all of this exclusive content that they have on their, their cable channels to ESPN+. They've literally said, and I quote, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So if you're charter and you're sitting there and you're saying, you want us to lock into a deal for probably like four, maybe five years. These deals are usually longer in length, which is the most dangerous part. You want us to lock and do a deal for four to five years just so you can create a competitor to us because that's essentially what it is, right? If you have ESPN+, Plus, you don't need ESPN if the same content is on ESPN+. And if that comes at a fraction of your cable costs, granted, you'll still need you know Fox and all these other networks, ESPN+, Plus then becomes a competitor to Spectrum and Charter's obviously not happy about that. So I don't know how this is actually going to end up. But my guess is that they'll probably get something figured out eventually, even if ESPN has to give up a couple of things, because everyone looks at ESPN and they say they have all the power. Disney has all the power. They own the content. You need live sports. These cable companies still have to pay up. But if a cable company like Charter, who has other businesses, right, they have broadband, they have wireless, says Spectrum really isn't that interesting to us anymore. We're not really interested in the video side of this stuff. We make more money on the other businesses anyways. We're going to start to just decline this a little bit, right? And if you have ESPN or you need ESPN and you want to cancel, that's great. Go ahead. Go do it. We're not going to fight you on that. If they say that, that is massive, massive, massive. Because ESPN, for the first time in what feels like forever, maybe even history, will get shut down. They'll say these bullying tactics are not going to work. And other cable companies will then have leverage in their negotiations also. Now, some of these situations are different. And there's some other nuance to this where... People are saying that Spectrum just wants Disney Plus and ESPN Plus for free for their customers, and maybe that's what ESPN ends up giving up. But right now, it feels like we're at a stalemate. People are saying, I'm not giving in on Bob Iger's side, and then on Spectrum and Charter's side, they're saying, I'm not giving in either. So I wouldn't hold your breath on this kind of stuff. It's already been a week now. My guess is it could go a few days longer one way or the other before we get an official announcement. Disney is pulling out all of their options. They literally had Stephen A. Smith tweet out other ways to go sign up for services and leave Spectrum. So if you're reaching out to personalities that have large audiences on your owned and operated networks, you got something going on, right? You're not. You're obviously not super confident in the plan that you have in place or the fact that any of this is going to get resolved anytime soon. Today's episode is sponsored by FrameBridge. If you haven't heard of them by now, FrameBridge is the easiest solution for custom-made framing from iPhone photography to sports jerseys. You name it, they can frame it. So many of you have probably seen that I got a new studio background recently. It's a bookcase, and I wanted a couple different pictures to put in the bookcase. So I went to FrameBridge. All I did was upload a photo, selected the size, and picked out a frame. I placed my order within seconds. And before I knew it, the perfectly framed pictures were delivered to my doorstep in a matter of days. It was quick, it was easy, and most importantly, it was simple. So go to framebridge.com or see if there's a local Framebridge store near you to get started and custom frame just about anything today. The next thing I want to talk about today is Coach Deion Sanders and the Colorado football team. Now, I'm sure many of you watched the game this past weekend. They beat TCU 45-42. It was an unbelievable game. I sat down I watched the entire game from start to finish. They played lights out. Sanders' son is the quarterback. He had an amazing game. They had Travis Hunter, who plays both wide receiver and defensive back, played 120-plus snaps in 100-degree heat. Amazing, amazing, amazing performance. They shocked a lot of people, and 7.3 million people watched it on Fox. That was the most-watched football game on Saturday, and it was the second-most-watched football game of the weekend behind FSU and LSU. So absolutely huge, huge, huge game for Colorado. They're now ranked number 22 in the AP Top 25 poll, and that's above Clemson, right? And the reason why I bring up Clemson specifically is because we all know what happened. We know that Colorado won. We know that there's a lot of excitement. They're playing Nebraska this weekend. The tickets are crazy expensive, yada, 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 yada. But the reason I brought up Clemson is because college football is changing. And I think it's something that everyone needs to take notice of. Now, we know about the transfer portal. He brought in over 85 new players. There was one returning starter from last year. Literally everyone else is new. When I compare this team to last year's team that went one at 11, it's not even fair because it's a totally different team. The locker room is totally different. The staff is totally different. The support that they're getting from the school is totally different. So that's one thing, right? We have the transfer portal. He was literally able to build a new roster overnight. Overnight, he built an entirely new roster. He brought in 85 or 86 players and turned over everyone. And when you combine that with NIL, name, image, and likeness, which is now allowed by the NCAA, you have this perfect storm where college football has fundamentally changed forever. And the reason I say that is because Clemson, on the other hand, did the exact opposite of what Deion Sanders did. Clemson has built a powerhouse over the last few years in college football. They've won national championships. They've gone to national championships. They've won the ACC. They've had number one picks. They've had first round draft picks. They've built a powerhouse under Dabo Sweeney, but Dabo Sweeney has been one of the loudest people against NIL. And maybe it's not fair to say he's completely against NIL. I think he's against a lot of the gray area around NIL. But ultimately, he has portrayed this image to a lot of people that he is against college athletes making money. And the reason why that's important, and he's also against the transfer border, right? He wants to do things the right way, the way that they've always been done. And the reason why that's important is because he has just one player from the transfer portal on his team, just one player. And you could argue that he's gotten great recruits. He doesn't need to change up his roster. These are guys that he brought in. And that's accurate. But even the best teams in the country are bringing in players. They're finding NIL deals through their boosters. They're helping these kids make money because ultimately that is a huge part of recruiting today. And if you look at what coach Deion Sanders did, he brought in 85 plus new players these people have NIL deals. The school was able to raise money from its boosters specifically for the purpose to pay his salary and pay other players on the team. And when I look at those two schools, they're headed in completely opposite directions. Colorado went 1-11 last year. They hired Deion Sanders, who brings momentum and energy to the program. He goes out. He brings in 85 new players. They get them paid on NIL deals. They start the season 1-0, and beating TCU, who was in the national championship game last year. They're now ranked number 22 in the country. They added 150,000 new Instagram followers over the weekend. Tickets are now selling for $476 to the Nebraska game, which is double what it would have costed to attend every single home game for Colorado last year. I could go on and on and on. The stats are absolutely incredible, the impact that Dion has made. And they're headed north. They're headed north. They're a program on the rise. We'll see if he stays. We'll see if they keep winning. There's a lot of stuff that still goes into this. I don't want to overreact. But on the other side of the coin, Clemson is headed south. They've lost three of their last four games. Dabo Sweeney only gets one kid from the transfer portal. They lose to Duke. Duke? I mean, Duke's got a good quarterback this year, but damn, it's Duke. No no disrespect, but it's Duke. This is Clemson we're talking about. This is a team that was expected to be competing for national championships every single year. And my point with this is pretty simple. It's just college sports not only have changed, but they're going to continue to change. And coaches that don't have the ability to adapt to these changes that can't say, okay, now I'm going to go focus on NIL. I'm going to go raise this money. I'm going to get these kids paid. Whether you think it's right or wrong, that's where college football is headed. Coach Deion Sanders has proven that. Even Nick Saban, Nick Saban, one of the most old school coaches of all time, he said, look, I'm going to get kids to the NFL. That promise has not changed. But at the end of the day, what did you see? Bryce Young last year, that guy was on commercials every single time I turned on a football game. Those kids got paid 1,000%. And you could argue some Clemson players are getting paid too, and that's probably true. But still, Coach Dabo Sweeney is thinking about this in an old-school mindset, and this new-school mindset that has come from Coach Deion Sanders has changed the way programs can recruit, it's changed the way that they can build their rosters, and it's changed the results that they're getting on the field, which ultimately can lead to millions of dollars, billions of dollars potentially for the schools that they represent. We talk about this all the time on this podcast, the Flutie effect which is the idea that athletic success leads to an increase in enrollment through interest. And that's true that if you look at Alabama, not only have they increased their enrollment over the last decade with Nick Saban, but the composition of their enrollment, they now have more out-of-state students than in-state students, and those students pay $30,000 more in tuition per year. So that's obviously important. But then if you look at other schools, schools that don't have the capacity to increase enrollment by 20, 30, 40 percent, they're now scaling up their acceptance, right? So they're saying you need higher qualifications to get accepted to this university. You need higher standards. And that's just as good in my mind and in the school's eyes as it is when it comes to adding more students. Because if your university is more prestigious, you're able to charge more money. The degree becomes more worthwhile. People donate more money back from booster status, et cetera, et cetera. So all of this trickles down. I think Colorado hiring Deion Sanders is going to prove to be a genius move. It's quite frankly puzzling that not many other schools looked at him or willing to hire him. I don't know if Deion Sanders is going to stay there forever. My guess is that if he gets a call from FSU down the road, obviously they're doing well now and don't need him. But a school like Miami or another big time school like that that can easily get recruits with him at the helm, he would go do it. I don't know that to be true. I'm not sure anyone else knows that to be true. We're one game into his tenure at Colorado, but things are looking up. I think this is going to shift the future of college football forever. I think we're looking at a completely different sport. And Jim Harbaugh insinuated last week that college players should be paid as part of revenue share. And I've been saying this for many years now. Some of you have heard this from me. I've certainly written about it in the newsletter that NIL was just step one. That's just step one. We're not going to stop there. One thousand percent kids are eventually going to get paid. College students are going to get paid as part of a revenue sharing agreement like you would see in the NFL, like you would see in the NBA, like you would see in the MLB or any of these other sports leagues through a collective bargaining agreement. And this is going to happen because NIL is just one piece of the puzzle when it comes to getting these kids paid. I know that it's not professional sports. I know that we're supposed to remain in the collegiate atmosphere. These kids are going to school for an education and all of that. But at the end of the day, there's too much money floating around. Some of these coaches are getting paid $10, 15000000 million a year. The schools are getting tens of millions of dollars a year in media rights. The conferences are getting hundreds of millions of dollars a year in media rights. ESPN is paying out billions of dollars for certain media rights. There's just too much money going around for it not to trickle down to the players. I think that is going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen in the next two years or three years, but I certainly think it's going to happen within the next decade or 15 years. And my guess is that we're not going to stop and we're going to keep hearing about this until it does happen. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about today is the 2023 Rugby World Cup. It kicks off today, Friday, September 8th in France. More than 2 million people will attend matches throughout the tournament, and another 800 million people will watch from the comfort of their own homes on television. This is the 10th Rugby World Cup in history. It hasn't really been going on for that long. And similar to the world's biggest sporting events, think about the World Cup or the Olympics, it creates billions of dollars in economic impact. So today I want to talk a little bit about the tournament, what's happening, where it's happening, how much money they make, and so forth. But the best place to start is probably that most people in the United States specifically, they don't know how to play rugby. They don't know about the history of the sport. They don't know about its rules. And they certainly don't know about its strategy or the fact that it has significantly more fans than the NFL. Rugby is probably one of the Western world's most underappreciated sports. Rugby has more than 500 million fans, primarily in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. More than 10 million people in 221 countries play rugby, and the Rugby World Cup is considered the world's third largest sporting event behind the Summer Olympics and the FIFA Men's World Cup. For example, the 2019 Rugby World Cup in Japan had 1.7 million total spectators, 242,000 people traveled to Japan from six continents and 178 nations to watch the games, the tournament generated $350 million in ticket sales, $134 million in sponsorship revenue and an estimated $173 million in broadcasting revenue. And the final between South Africa and England had an average live audience of 45 million people. 45 million people. To give you guys some context, that's roughly equivalent to like the NFL's conference championship, right? So like the AFC and the NFC championship, that'd be about 45 or 50 million people would watch that game. So big tournament. And its economic impact is massive because of that. There's a study from Ernest & Young that came out a year or two ago. They said the 2019 Rugby World Cup in Japan had a total economic impact of $5.31 billion. And it added $2.84 billion to Japan's GDP, creating 46,430 jobs. And it finished that World Cup. The Rugby World Cup finishes the most economically successful Rugby World Cup ever. But this year's Rugby World Cup is in France, and it's set to be bigger than Japan in 2019. There's going to be 48 matches over 51 days, 51 days. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this specifically, because year 51 days, and that seems like a lot. The Summer Olympics in 2020 were only 17 days. The FIFA World Cup in 2022 on the men's side was only 29 days. And now we have the Rugby World Cup in 2023, which is 51 days. So it's almost double the length of the World Cup. And it's like three times the length of the Summer Olympics. And the reason for this is simple. The sports governing body, World Rugby, they agreed to a request from the players and the teams to have five rest days between games. Five rest days. This is obviously a physical sport. It's a little bit different than the World Cup and the Summer Olympics. You need rest days between the games. So these 48 matches will take place over 51 days. They'll be played in nine stadiums throughout France. These stadiums have like 60,000, 70,000, 80,000 seats, where the finals being played actually has 80,000 seats. And they're in the south of France, most of the stadium. So it's going to be super interesting to see this tournament. The tournament was awarded to France over South Africa and Ireland because they projected, actually, they ended up guaranteeing a profit of $440 million to World Rugby, which World Rugby will use to invest in the game of rugby. They do this through TV rights. They do this through tickets. And they also work with more than 20 companies on the sponsorship side, like MasterCard, Emirates, Facebook, SockGen, and so many others. So the players are going to benefit from this also. Now, the prize money is significantly smaller than what you would see at like the men's FIFA World Cup, which handed out $440 million last year. This is just a fraction of that. They're going to hand out $42 million throughout the tournament. The typical player on each team is going to walk away with if you win a couple hundred thousand dollars. And then the organizations that are in these countries, right? So New Zealand, Australia, like all these teams have rugby organizations within their country. And if you win the Webb Ellis Cup, which is what the award is called, you end up getting like $100,000 or $200,000 per player on top of that, right? So they'll supplement some of your wages too. So it's a little bit more financial incentive to go and win this whole thing. They're expecting 2.5 million tickets to be sold. They're expecting 600,000 visitors into France for this event. And 50% of the fans are expected to come from Britain. So this is something that I'm going to be watching. I hope you guys are watching too. Rugby is a super underappreciated sport, specifically in the United States. It's super fun to watch. This means a lot to the countries that are participating. It's going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's only been around for about 40 years now. It happens every four years. This is the 10th edition. So this is something to keep your eye on as an event that's going to keep coming up. You're going to hear more about it over the coming years, especially because the 2031 Men's Rugby World Cup and the 2033 Women's Rugby World Cup are taking place in the United States. I'm super excited about it. I'm hoping to be able to catch a few games when they come here. We'll have more info about that in the coming years when they start to lock down some of the venues and stuff like that. But that's it for today. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Enjoy the full weekend of college and NFL football that we have coming up this weekend. Please do me a favor and leave me a review on Apple or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. Give me five stars. Tell me what you like about the podcast. Tell me what I can be doing better and so forth. I hope everyone has an amazing weekend and we'll talk on Monday.